We are, we are multimedia today, huh? <laughs> we thought that would work. It didn't. It didn't work. You still just kept talking. But that's great. We love that. We love that you kept talking. Um, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are right now in a series that's become a yearly rhythm for us. We're at the beginning of every calendar year. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, we go through this series called Faithful to the Core, where we talk a little bit about our DNA as a church, who we are, what makes us tick. We believe that these are the kind of things that are important enough to revisit again and again and again. A lot of times in a community like this, when you don't talk about these things regularly, they become assumed. You think like, oh, everyone knows this. And when things like that become assumed, suddenly you begin to realize you're starting to lose your identity slowly. And so we always want to reestablish, hey, this is who we are. This is why we do what we do. And we've been starting with this quote. Mike, would you put that first slide up? From a great philosopher. Um, we start very fancy with philosophy. Um, this is Alistair McIntyre, who was a Christian philosopher of the last century. He famously said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do? If I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? In other words, our lives need a cohesive story that we're living out of that when all we're doing is um, the next thing after the next thing after the next thing and not pausing to consider, why am I doing this? Why am I making the choices I'm making? Why am I choosing the things in life that I'm choosing? That we're living sort of out of step with what it means to be human, that there is a true story of the world that we're called to live into that makes sense of our little stories, of our seemingly mundane right here in the 21st century in central New Jersey. Um, there is this story that we can connect to that can make sense of everything we do, that can answer that prior question, what story am I a part, such that we can answer the question, well, what am I to do? What is life for? Um, what is my life to be about? And so for us, very practically as a church, this is what that looks like, is we have these five core identities represented by these icons up here that we've been working through over the last number of weeks. Mike, would you put that next slide up? And what we said that first week when we talked about what it means to be gospel-centered is that the gospel, which literally means good news, it's the story of what God has done to make right what's gone wrong in the world, and we'll talk again about that gospel today, that to be centered on the gospel means that's the story we're living out of. And so everything we do, and especially the core things we do, the things that really, um, that, that we would sort of, you know, die on that hill for, so to speak, only make sense if they flow from that story only makes sense if they flow from the gospel. So last week, we sort of skipped ahead and talked about life in multi-ethnic community and how right from the beginning, because of what Jesus had done, because of this good news, we see God bringing together a multi-ethnic church, um, a multi-ethnic people of God. And so as this church in this particular place at this particular time in Middlesex County, one of the most diverse um, counties in the entire country, especially, uh, it, it's one of the most diverse counties, even including the major urban areas, um, which is just totally fascinating. It's the fourth, right where we stand right now, North Brunswick, is the fourth most diverse, they do this index, the census does, fourth most diverse township in the entire state. And that includes all the, all the cities, Jersey City and Newark and Trenton and all that stuff. We're actually right now in the fourth most diverse. And guess what number five is? It's Franklin. It's right next door, right? And so we are right in this area. It's fascinating. Um, more so than New Brunswick. Um, and so 
So we believe that when we are planted, I was talking to a couple of people after the gathering last week, and they said, do you think that every church should be multi-ethnic? And, and our answer to that is no, we don't believe that. We believe that there are churches that are going to serve communities that we simply can't serve, right? We had for many years here uh, a Mandarin-speaking church that would meet on Sunday afternoons um, right here in this building because they were reaching folks that we were never going to be able to reach, largely first-generation Chinese immigrants. And so uh, we gladly allowed that because we believe believe that together as the body of Christ, um, we're called to reach this place. But when we were planted, we looked around and said, um, what is God doing in this area and where can the gospel be displayed uniquely? And so that's where our conviction to be a multi-ethnic church came from. And so, um, so that's what we talked about last week. We're going to move backwards now and talk uh, for several weeks actually about this core identity of thoughtfully engaged, thoughtfully engaged. And what we mean there is two things primarily. What this core identity has always meant for our church is that we believe that we are to be a church that doesn't just exist for ourselves, but that the message that we have is a message that we need to go public with. That actually we have an obligation to, to use the language of our mission statement, to extend hope through the gospel in this particular place. And so the, the fancy Christian word for that, if you've been around church for a while, is evangelism. We're a church that believes that there's an obligation for us to share this news with the surrounding community. So for the next two weeks, that's what we're going to talk about, is this scary word that puts a lot of us on the defensive, uh, this word evangelism. Then two weeks after that, uh, we're going to talk about sort of the other thing that we normally mean by thoughtfully engaged, which is that we believe that we as followers of Jesus are not to stick our heads in the sand when it comes to the culture around us, but are rather to engage that culture and to say, what does a distinctly Christian posture look like given the complex realities of the particular cultural moment of the society that we are living in? And in 2024, a lot of that is gonna come down to what does it mean to engage well in the political sphere as followers of Jesus. I've joked several times that I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about politics here, right? And you laugh because you know that right now this is one of the more complex, divisive things in our culture. Jacob's well, we feel an obligation because of that core identity to say, we're not going to stick our heads in, we're going to talk about it. And we might not do that perfectly, and we surely aren't going to satisfy everyone here because we have people from all kinds of political stripes, but, um, but we are going to attempt to say, hey, how do we bring the truth of the scriptures to bear on something like that? And so those are the two things that we've always meant by this core identity, is that we believe that there is an obligation to go and share, as do all Christians. I mean, as we'll look at today, it's pretty core to, to our faith. But then also this idea of we're called to engage um, the questions and complexities of the culture around us. And so we're going to do that in a specific way um, through, these, through these next few weeks. So what we've been trying to do is to say, to start with sort of a, a high-level view of how does this core identity flow from that gospel story? How does, how does this what flow from the why of that true story of the world that we began this whole series talking about. So let me just walk through that very quickly. Um, here's, here's how I would talk about why we believe that we have an obligation um, to actually go public with our faith, to share our faith with others, and to believe um, that part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to, is to go and tell others. Okay, here's how the story begins. Genesis 1, uh, it says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this fairly quickly, but 
Genesis 1 says that God created humanity with a particular purpose. Uh, it talks about it as God created humanity in his image. What that means um, is both that we are like God in ways that other creatures are not like God, but what it primarily means is that we serve a function as people in creation that no other creature serves, that dogs and ants and flies and mountains and trees don't serve. And that purpose is to represent God in the world, to be and to do who God would be and what God would do if he were physically present in the world. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. So there's a relationship aspect to that, that we're to do that in deep relationship with him. And then there's a responsibility that we bear as human beings. The reality of sin comes in and there is both a severing in that relationship and a severing of that responsibility and the task that we have. You see, sin at its core is, is two things. It's distrust relationally of God. It's saying, God, I know that you said, but I, I don't know if I can trust you on that one. And this is where, yes, this happened you know, to, our, to our first parents, Adam and Eve, but we all resonate with this. I know you said God, but I just don't know if I can trust you on this one. Or we go through a hard time. We say, man, maybe God doesn't actually care about me, right? Like that relational aspect of our turning from God is there from the beginning. But there's also a turning from the responsibility that we have, that we bear with God to be and to do who he would be and what he would do. You see, we say, no, I want to run my life the way that I want to run it. I think I have a pretty good sense of what my life should be about and what I should do. And so instead of our meaning and purpose and what we do in the world coming from that deep connectedness to God, instead of taking responsibility as his image bearers in the world, we turn from that responsibility in rebellion against God and decide, no, I want to live how I want to live. Now, there's a lot of the story that I'm about to skip. All of this ends up with the question, well, how is God going to make right both that severed relationship and that humanity is now not what we were intended to be? And long story short, he actually comes himself into the story. He writes himself into the play, you might say, and takes upon himself that very image that God himself takes on the image of God, becomes the, the uh, we're told that Jesus was the exact imprint of the image of God. He perfectly fulfills what it means. He was, in other words, who we could not be, which is amazing that he was capable of providing a new example of what it looks like to actually be in the image of God. But if all he provided was an example, we would still be left with our own sin and rebellion. We would still be left in a severed relationship. You see, something needed to be done about our end of things. And so this is the amazing truth. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ in himself on the cross bears all of the weight and penalty for our rebellion against God, takes all of the, the punishment that we deserve, all of the separation from God. He is cast out. He is utterly alienated from God. My God, why have you forsaken me? He says on the cross for us in our place, substitutes himself so that we might actually experience a renewed relationship with God and become new creations. He gives us an entirely new slate he gives us an entirely new nature 
to begin walking into the purpose for which we were created. He gives us that second chance. He does a miracle from the inside out. And having done all of that, here's where it connects to to our core identity, it shouldn't be to our surprise that he says, go and tell others. (laughs) Go and tell them that now it is possible to finally be reconnected to the relationship for which every human being that has ever stepped foot on this planet was made to enjoy. Tell them that they can have a new chance, that though they've rebelled against me and become something other than what I intended them to become, I can give them a new nature. I can take them as we were beautifully singing. By the way, y'all sang today. That was amazing. Let's keep doing that. That was great, man. We were like singing our lungs out, right? But what were we singing about? We were singing about the fact that Jesus doesn't just give us a good example. He gives us a new life. He takes us from spiritual death. Um, what's, What's the line in that song? I was breathing but I wasn't alive. I was breathing, but not alive. What? That's a weird thing to sing, right? If you have no, no category for, what? Uh, Obed, you good, right? Like you a zombie or something, right? What we're talking about there is spiritual life. We can be physically alive, but be disconnected from that which we were made. And Christ says, I can come and give you that new life. I can put spiritual breath in your lungs by my spirit. And so we shouldn't be surprised that before he actually goes back to the Father, the last thing he says to us is, go and tell the world this incredible news. This is not just for you. This is not to be hoarded, right? This is is having the cure to, should I say COVID-19, politics and all that, right? Um, Get used to it. We'll talk about stuff, right? Like This is like having, don't be triggered, but this is like having the cure to COVID-19 and saying, good, I'm going to be okay. If we have the cure to spiritual death, who are we to withhold that from the world around us? Such that the image that we have at the end that we've already looked at when we talked about life in multi-ethnic community is that one day when the final chapter, when the reality of Jesus' victory over sin and rebellion and death is applied as wide as creation goes, when that moment comes, we see a people together, not from one ethnicity, not from one country, not speaking one language, not from one time period, but people from every tribe, tongue, and language. You see, in some ways, this is saying Jesus' call to go will be successful. (laughs) Will we participate, right? It is happening all over the world. Will we do our part and get to participate in that day when every tribe, tongue, and nation worships with one heart, the king? Okay, so here's what Jesus actually says. This is Matthew 18. This passage is commonly called, let's test your Bible knowledge. What's this called? Great Commission. Alan Mitch was the first to say, ding, it's like Jeopardy. You got to get in first. Um, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a wild claim, (laughs) right? All authority, every government, every municipality, every individual human soul, Jesus says, I claim it. It's mine. I don't share authority with anyone. I am not one among many. I am not one path to spiritual enlightenment among any. All authority in heaven and even in the unseen realms, in the spiritual realms, they bow to me now because of what I have done. I am the champion. I have earned the right to lay claim to every inch of creation, every single aspect 
of your life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Therefore what, Jesus? He says, well, you got to go. You got to go and let people know the true state of the world and the true state of their soul. You got to make disciples. That's a word we love here at the Old Jacob's Well, right? Discipleship course. Make disciples of all nations. Here, here, right from the beginning. The goal is not mere conversions. It's not hands raised. It's a whole life given over to the authority of Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, not just of your people. We got to go. We got we to move beyond the boundaries of what's comfortable to us. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. That's the new identity part of this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Our job is not done at conversion. And behold, I love this. I am with you always to the end of the age. The call to, and I'll use the word, the call to evangelism is bracketed by the authority of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. By the authority of Jesus, he says, it's all mine anyway. You're just going to lay claim to what's mine anyway. The battle's over, right? Um, do you know that there was a, a, a period of time between D-Day, when World War II was decisively over and the actual end of the war? Right? That's like what Jesus' death and resurrection is. It's D-Day, it's over. We won, right? The, the Allies won. But there's a time period in between where that victory needs to actually now be applied. That's what Jesus, he said, it's over, it's over. Go claim what's already mine. And then he says, and you're not alone in it. I will go with you. We'll return to that at the end. That's the call, that's the great, I love that it's the great commission, um, which I don't know if this is technically what the word means, but I like that it's co-mission. It's not just our individual, it's not a solo mission. It's a co-mission. It's us together. We'll talk about that in just a second. Okay, evangelism is hard though, right? How, ma how many, <laughs> you'll admit this. How many of you hear evangelism and there's a little bit of like, oh, a little bit of hesitation, okay? Now, some of you, some of you here, you're not followers of Jesus yet. You came just on a random Sunday and you're like, oh gosh, this is a part of Christians that I think is super weird. They want to like go and tell people, right? Ho I, here's what I hope. If that's you, and you're thinking, um, yeah, this is a little weird. Like, this is what's a little freaky about Christians is they want to tell people this is what they believe. Um, first of all, I hope you hear it differently today and realize we get this wrong a lot. The reason, the reason why our core identity is thoughtfully engaged is because Christians, we, can tend toward either thoughtless engagement, and you've probably encountered this, thoughtless engagement, Okay, I've had a Christian scream at me before. Didn't feel very thoughtful. <laughs> Didn't feel like they actually saw a human being in front of them. Or we tend towards, and this I think is where a church like ours is more prone, we tend towards thoughtful disengagement. We got, we got great truth in here. We got really profound insight collectively as a community, but we can hoard that in a way that's, that's not okay, right? One of the things in our culture is that... Um, let me just address this up front. One of the things that can cause us hesitations right now, it's, it's very uh, deeply embedded in our culture that you can believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and let's not get in the way. And I would just say, if, if what we believe is true, though, we owe it to you to at least offer and invite it. Because we really believe that it's the only hope for you to experience the deepest thing that you were created for. So we can do it obnoxiously, which is on us, but to not actually offer it just understand is, is us being unloving towards you by our own, maybe not by your definition, but by our own definition. We're trying to have integrity when we share with you, hey, we really believe this. Um, and so if it doesn't come off loving, again, that's, that's us. That's not a you thing. But 
I would just invite you to consider everything that we're going to talk about today and say, it's just us trying to have integrity to say, if we really believe this and we love you and we care about you, um, there's a famous clip of, of Penn or Teller, I don't know who's who, um, but one of them, um, talking about how messed up it is that he has all these Christian friends, he's not a Christian, that he has all these Christian friends and none of them have shared the gospel or many of them haven't shared the gospel with him, haven't shared the good news, haven't shared about Jesus. And he says, I just feel so profoundly unloved by that. Right? And he's got a little edge to him and, and all that, but there's truth in there. There's deep truth in there because he's saying, you can at least tell me, we can at least talk about it. You can at least give me the option if you really believe that. All right, so what do we need to, to do thoughtfully engaged evangelism? Um, there are no acronyms here. There's no cutesy, sermony. There's just my, my, the way that I could put it together. So sorry that there's not, you know, five Ps of thoughtful engaged uh, evangelism. But here's the first one. First, we have to believe the exclusivity of the gospel and the universality of the offer. We have to believe in the exclusivity of the gospel, right? This is where we begin to rub up against culture, right? This is the Apostle Paul, early Christian missionary and teacher. You could argue maybe the best evangelist the church has ever had. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, right? And when we really think about it, like this is kind of where it starts. We've got to wrestle, and I'm talking to followers of Jesus now. We've got to wrestle with, are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of that story? Do we find it a, a little silly to the point that, that we think that it would be an embarrassment to share with others? Paul says, that ain't me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here he's talking historically. Paul has watched this. He's watched it go first to largely Jewish Christians. This is what we talked about last week with multi-ethnic. And then also to, to the Greeks, um, to the surrounding cultures and, and all that. But the exclusivity of the gospel here is captured in, it's the power of God for salvation. It is, it's the way. It's the only way. It's powerful. It's, uh, and, and it's almost hard, to, <laughs> it's almost hard to capture how true this is. Because many, many, many of us, right? I would say, I'm guessing the majority of this room are followers of Jesus. And I bet the way that you came in was actually pretty simple. If not, like borderline problematic. You look back in your story and you say, I became a Christian as a part of a ministry or as a part of a church. Many of us grew up in church. And you look back and you go, man, there's a lot wrong with that. But if the gospel was preached, it was the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel. Somehow it does its thing. Just the simple declaration, you are separated from God by your sin. Jesus Christ came, died on your behalf, and you can actually experience the freedom that Pastor Obed was talking about this morning. People go, makes sense, <laughs> right? I think one of the things that we can do as Christians is there's this whole thing called apologetics. And apologetics is um, proving our faith. And um, I love apologetics. Apologetics is fascinating. It gets like the smartest Christian minds and they make these great proofs and all that stuff. And a lot of times Christians experience apologetics and go, oh, my faith makes sense. And all oh, these are questions that I've always had. And we think, okay, like I've got to, I've got to have my apologetics um, ducks in a row in order to see people convinced the way that I am now. But that, that was very, it's very seldom that's the way in. You see, apologetics a lot of times is for Christians. It's for us building up a faith that we already mysteriously, miraculously somehow have, 
And then we experience these really good rational arguments and teaching and all that stuff, and we go, oh, this makes me feel better about this thing that, that I did way back when. But it was, the, it was the simple gospel, I bet, that for the vast majority of us was the way in. And then we think, well, I have to be as brilliant a mind as C.S. Lewis or, or name your favorite uh, sort of Christian thinker just in case my friends have these objections. And we never even engage because we say, well, I need 75 answers to the 75 questions they might ask. When the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Here's what I got for you, the simple gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And it's your only hope. And I would add, saying that it's the power of God unto salvation is us adding, and that's what did it for me. And I'm not some great Christian thinker and mind, but you know what? I believe Jesus has really changed me. Not perfectly, but something happened, man, when I believe that gospel. We also have to believe in the universality of the offer. What I mean by this is, one, right, that it's not just for people who are like us, but I feel like we covered that last week with the multi-ethnic. What I mean here is that it's way more simple than that. It's just the idea that people um, who aren't Christians now are going to become Christians. <laughs> that I don't know that there's anything more emboldening for me than one of the great privileges that we have as elders, which is when people become members here, um, you write out your story of grace. And some people it's a paragraph, some people it's five pages. We don't, we, we don't mandate that or anything. I don't care how long or short it is, it always emboldens me. I'm like, man, you became a Christian at some point. You weren't always a Christian. And you became a Christian. And that means that there's people sitting in here who aren't Christians right now. You're going to become a Christian someday. And there's friends and family that we know who we think are the least likely people to put their faith in Jesus. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. And it might not, and, and unfortunately, no guarantee, right? And that can be heartbreaking, and that can be a, a lifelong travail that you have. Is that someone that you love? But, it's, but, but it is something that's still happening in the world. Right now, somewhere, someone is experiencing that simple gospel message and going, I need that. I need that. And their story will be, what's today? On January 28th, 2024, something happened and I became a Christian, right? And I, I feel a little bit of like, why not us? <laughs> why can't there be dozens of those stories where someone that you're engaging right now in your family or a neighbor or someone at your job that you're like, there's no way, it's not gonna be them. All right, I'll tell you a quick story. I, my story is largely in college. I wandered from my faith, came back about junior year, was asked to lead a Bible study, had no business leading a Bible study, so God sent no freshmen, spared them. Um, and then all my knucklehead, then all my knucklehead friends, uh, me and the other guy were like, would you want to talk about Jesus? And all my knucklehead friends were like, yeah, we'll do it. And so we started meeting. And uh, three guys in a frat house on a Thursday became 19 guys by the end of the day. It was amazing. It was amazing. God changed a lot of our lives. That's why I'm standing here today in, in so many ways. Um, there was one friend, my very best friend, my very, very, very best friend. Um, I'll say his name, Jake. You might listen to this. Um, my friend Jake, um, Jake Hips, is, uh, he never came. He never came. He was like the holdout in our group of friends. And, um, and it broke my heart. I could almost cry thinking about it. But there's a good end to the story, so I don't have to cry. <laughs> Two years later... My man calls me, bawling his eyes out. Scott, Scott. I'm like, Jake, are you okay? Are you okay? He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't even know how to explain it, but something happened tonight, and I'm in. And it took me a second. I'm like, you know what? And he's like, he's like, he's like, I think I just gave my life to Jesus. Can you help me understand what I just did? And I was like, yeah, we can talk about that. Um, 
And he, he's, he's, he's loving Jesus to this day. He's, he's a church right now, I'm sure. Um, and he was the guy that I was like, okay, the gospel is powerful, but maybe not powerful enough for a guy like Jake. Um, and then it happened. And I remember just being like, okay, it's universal. Like everyone, the offer's there, man. Um, and so I want to increase, I'm trying to turn up our level of faith um, for the Jakes in our lives. For the people who feel like, no, that's the holdout. There's no way. Because um, we see it again and again. In some ways, Paul's life, God clearly chose Paul. And Paul reflects on this more and more the older he gets, the guy who wrote this, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's like God chose Paul precisely because Paul was the least likely candidate on literally the face of the planet when the gospel is going forth for the first time. It's like God was like, I'm going to start with you so that there's no, no doubt, right? Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I am the least likely convert. And, and Paul increasingly goes, oh, that's why. So that that category is off the table for anyone else, right? He's like, have you killed Christians, right? Um, and like, so, <laughs> right? Like it's off the table for him. Okay. Second, um, we have to be motivated by love, not credit for conversions. Guys, um, people, by the way, let me say this right now. Um, we, this, is, this is right now something that we're growing in as a church. Um, we, have, we have not always been strong in this, um, and we're growing in this. So we're going to do trainings this spring. Um, Tony and Rach uh, are overseeing this, this whole part of, of how we're trying to grow. They're going to do trainings in the spring to get really specific about how we do this well. We're launching Alpha, which you've heard a lot about um, this summer and then into, into next year. So, so you will have opportunities to, to do this, but these are just some, some thoughts to frame that whole effort. Um, people know when they're a project and not a real person that you're trying to love. People know when you've sort of uh, locked in on them as a target, and this is going to be my conversion, right? <laughs> like, this is going to be my, I get to say to whoever, my, you know, my D course, or get to say to me, or whatever, like, I did it, right? Uh, we got to be really careful with that. Um, we live in New Jersey, um, and people sniff out, um, you know, a lack of authenticity pretty quickly. But if it comes from a place of love, and genuine relationship, then it can flow into what I was talking about before, where it becomes a reasonable part of sharing the truth of who we are and the depths of who we are and the reality of who we are with someone that there's already meaningful relationship and exchange of life with. Paul says this elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, first, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Right? Again, a lot of it comes down to, are you ashamed of the gospel? Or do you say, yeah, man, this is the thing that changed my life and I got to tell you about Jesus. We talk about what we love, right? We talk about what we love. Oh my gosh, have you seen Netflix series? Oh my gosh, did you see the new um, football, right? We get very passionate about football in this, uh, in this country, right? Why? Because we love it and it draws out, out our, our interest, right? And so Paul is saying, man, oh, that the gospel would flow from us because it comes from this deep place of love and experience. And we realize, man, this, this, this is what I got for you. For the love of Christ controls us. I'm going to read this whole thing. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's another little gospel nugget. Paul's like, I bet Paul would say that in a coffee house or whatever they had back then. Right? Um, that's his little 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I actually see the spiritual reality of your life. Not just the physical reality of how's your life going. We need to see that people have spiritual lives and spiritual need is what he's saying. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What he's saying there is we're withholding that. You're a new creation. You are an entirely new being. And you're looking at people that need that same new creative work in their life and we're withholding it. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting, I love that word, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation with God, right? That severed relationship, that distrust, that God is willing to pay the entire cost of making right what's gone wrong. He's saying he's entrusted. That's a stewardship word. He's entrusted that message to us. We are the way that people are going to hear of what God has done. Therefore, we are ambassadors. I love that image for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's so much that I could say about that ambassador image, right? Um, but I'll withhold a, a little bit because we got more ground to cover. But right, what's a good ambassador? A good ambassador is someone who lives in another country on behalf of the interests of their home country. A bad ambassador does one of two things. Forgets their home country and the interests of their home country and just gets really comfortable where they are. Or they're so interested in their home country that they don't care about the country that they were sent to. And so they, they guard themselves in the embassy, right? Oh, good, I'm still in the U.S., right? They sit there in the embassy. No, what's the point of an ambassador? Go out! Go out into that other country. Maintain the identity that you have as a citizen primarily of another country, but represent those interests in that new place. Paul is saying that's, that's a way to conceive of who we are to be in this world. I love that. Which brings me to the, the next point, which is I think what the scriptures envision in terms of this area is more so, go to the next slide, a corporate culture of evangelism over individual acts of heroism. In other words, this is a group project. This is something we're to ideally do together, right? And this might be the hardest one for us at Jacob's Well, because we're, a lot of us are just by nature of life in New Jersey. A lot of us are, are really uh, isolated from each other, frankly. And so one of the things that I think we have to overcome as a church, it's finding ways to partner together so that we don't feel the full weight that every single non-Christian we know, we're the only Christian that they know. Right? We need to begin to courageously providing moments of overlap between our Christian circle of friends and our non-Christian circle of friends. Because one thing that I know that we don't lack when we have talked about what we need as a church is I don't think most of us live in a Christian bubble. I really don't think that. Y'all know non-Christians, right? You know non-Christians, right? Um, again, we live in central Jersey. I think the temptation, though, is to bubble ourselves in those two places. And so one of the ways that we're going to go after this is how do we just provide some simple overlap? Because listen, you might not be super confident with that transition into the spiritual conversations, but I bet one of your Christian friends is like really good at that. Have you ever seen these people? Have you been around these people 
who can disarm other people and just naturally start a conversation about the gospel. And you're going, I've known him for 12 years. You've known him for 12 minutes. And you're talking about like, right? You ever been in this? That's gifting. Um, evangelism is a gift that God gives, but it's something he calls the whole church to. A lot of the gifts are that way, right? The gift of teaching, right? There's people who are specifically gifted to teach, but we're all called to pour into each other, to speak into each other's life. That's how evangelism is. Some people are uniquely gifted to make that transition, make it non-awkward, to have some responses that are winsome to other people, right? Like if those are, that's who you want your friends to meet, okay? And then some of you are really good at, at the transitioning spiritual conversations, but you're not particularly hospitable. <laughs> and you really struggle with that. And you struggle with, man, I, yeah, having people in our home is really hard, but I bet you have some really hospitable friends who would gladly be like, yeah, bring them over to my house, we'll jump in the pool together, right? And then all of a sudden there's this overlap and gifts can be on display, right? Because all of our evangelism, I'll just tell you right now, can't happen in this building. That's not how it works. It can't all happen here. So we've got to think creatively about, man, how do we begin to provide that overlap? Also, so that we don't feel like just these individual heroes were, okay, now it's me against the world or something, right? Like, that's the last thing that we would want. How do we do this communally? Because there's real joy there too. This is where, again, it's not a project, but it's also really fun to watch those circles begin to overlap because there's people in both those circles, right? And you never know the relationships that might spring up and you're sitting and you're watching two people that you never could have imagined in your own concept getting along and it's like, oh my goodness, they are hitting it off more than I can imagine. And you watch God do his thing. There is an aspect, too, of this corporate aspect, which is people don't want to be argued into Christianity, which I think should, which I think should um, take down the pressure that we individually feel. Right? There's no argument normally you're going to make. There's no perfect response to what this or that person who's disinclined to the gospel. It, it's never going to be like, they're going to be like, oh, that was really good. Okay, what do I do? Right? Um, right? Like, that's not how it works. Normally, how it works, I think back to, um, like, uh, Mark and Alyssa, the, the ministry that, where is Mark and Alyssa? There you guys are. Um, crew. Crew did a, a study. Crew is a um, campus ministry all over, all over the world, but particularly in the States that, that they work for at Rutgers. And Crew did a study maybe 20 years ago where they um, looked at sort of all of the conversions that had been experienced, not all of them, but, but a bunch of the conversions that had been all over the, the country within different, on different campuses. And they tried to put together, okay, what, if, if we were to learn some lessons of, of what brought these people to that point of decision, what was it? And you know what the two things they found were? They found one, that you had to have experienced at least some measure of Christian community in a positive way. Maybe it was just you had, you know, maybe for crew's sake, right? Like maybe there were three of those students who were friends with it and you, you were also their friend or their roommate or something. And you saw the way they interacted and there was a category for you of like, oh, like, man, that seems different and that seems good. You know what the other one was? The other one's a little bit more sobering. It's normally you go through some kind of crisis that you can't get past yourself. And all of a sudden that community becomes a place that you, that you connect to in a moment of need. And when those two things come together, that's the most powerful place, right? I hear two things in that for us. One, right, we've got to find ways 
One, to embody the type of life and community that we're called to be. We've got we've to continue to pour into our own life together at Jacob's Well, such that if someone experiences that life together, they go, this is different, this is distinct. Right? We also have to find ways, again, to overlap that. But here's the other thing. If they're going to come to us in a moment of crisis, there has to have been genuine love, interest, conversation, safety, outside of, I'm just trying to make you a Christian, okay? But think of how beautiful that is, that it's actually an experience of, yeah, these are people who really care about me, and now I'm going through something, and I know they might have something to offer. Boom, that's, that's where it happens. I just find that so powerful. It reflects the words of Jesus um, in, in his final prayer. This is John 17. We'll actually talk through this in the spring. Oh yeah, some people have asked. We're going back to the Gospel of John. We're going to do the second half of the Gospel of John after this, which will be super fun. Go to that next slide, Mike. This is what Jesus prayed. He said, I don't ask for these only, he's talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. What does he pray for us? He prays, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying it's the quality of our life together and the quality of our connectedness to God that becomes the, the proof to the world that Jesus was who he said he was. Not our good arguments, not you know, a book that we can put in someone's hands. Jesus says, I am making my primary strategy to prove to the world from here forward that I really was who I said I was, the quality of life that my followers have together and their connectedness to me. That's why we value discipleship, right? Discipleship should not be something that's solely, a, it shouldn't be like a, Christ, just like a Christian wellness program. Where it's like, oh, we just get more and more actualized and more and more at peace, right? Like, no, discipleship moves us out. It improves the quality of, of our life together and our connectedness to Jesus so that we can move out with that quality so that other people can look in and say, maybe Jesus was who he said he was. Leslie Newbegin, great uh, missionary, um, spent most of his time in India and then came back to the Western world and, and was able to see the Western world um, with very distinct eyes. He said, I love this quote, how is it, I'll read it to you, it might be a little small. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? What he's saying here is, yeah, it's a little crazy, right, this gospel that we have. Hey, your best hope was a guy who died like a common criminal. He says, I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel, in other words, the thing that makes the gospel, that makes people go, oh, I get it, is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Jesus, as I said earlier, did not write a book, but formed a community. Insofar as it is true to its calling, it becomes the place where men and women and children find that the gospel gives them the framework of understanding, the lenses through which they're able to understand and cope with the world. Isn't that good? All right, here's a concept that I want to leave you with. So how do we do this? Um, how we do this is not one strategy, it's not one thing. Um, one, it's, it's uh, a lot that we'll try and do together corporately as a church. But this is, um, this is kind of the challenge that I want to set to us this morning. 
This actually comes, this is kind of fun, this actually comes from a church up in North Jersey um, that's part of our network, uh, who are good friends of ours, uh, Emergence Church, and we have a couple that just started coming here from Emergence, um, where they did a campaign, and basically they told the story that, um, I don't know, I'll tell it my version. This is apocryphal. This didn't happen, but it's a good story. Okay, Cindy, are you okay with that? Okay. Um, is uh, somebody sees a fisherman and he keeps uh, casting his rod and every time he rings it in and there's no fish on the line, he casts his rod and somebody comes up and they say, man, you've been here for hours like, and you've caught no fish. And the fisherman said, um, a true fisherman falls in love with casting. With the moment of anticipation of this could be it. And when it doesn't come in, okay, you're going to cast again. And one of Jesus' favorite images for this whole concept is he tells his disciples, who themselves were fishermen, he tells them, I will make you fishers of men, right? If you grew up in church, saying the little song, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, right? Um, he, he, uses, he uses this very common image from their life, and he says, this is what it will be like. In other words, we'll cast, we'll throw a little bit of hope, we'll throw a little bit of grace, we'll throw a, bit, a little bit of love, throw a little bit of hospitality, and who knows? It's a little bit of a violent image, um, right? Because you've got to latch on that you're bringing in a non-Christian. So if you're a non-Christian here, don't take this too far. Um, that's not what we want to do to you. Um, but hopefully you get the image. By the way, back then, fishing was much less violent. You threw a net out and you pulled a net out. Right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, much more gentle. Um, but I love this concept. I love this concept. Is that we would be a community that falls in love with casting. Isn't as obsessed with how are our evangelism numbers? How many conversions do we have this year, right? But hey, are we faithfully casting? I love this image. Um, I put this together. This was the strangest Google search I've ever done. This wasn't like the Jacob's Well pictures that I collected over a number of years. Um, but here's an image of a bunch of different people casting. We got kids down here. We got someone saltwater uh, fishing, deep sea fishing, fishing in a stream, right? I love, I love this because one, they're using different techniques. They're in different places. They're in different pairings. There's, you know, a more seasoned couple there. There's kids doing this. I didn't do the math, so I'll do it now. Um, let's say all of us, there's 120 members at Jacob's Well. Let's say all of us casted twice a week. 240 casts per week. Uh, we're already through a month, so we got 11 months. Let's say we got 44 weeks. We each cast it twice a week. What's a cast? A cast is, um, someone says, this is my favorite one. You've heard me say it before. What did you do yesterday? You go into work. Um, here's a cast. I went to church, and I found it meaningful. That's a little different, right? No, not much. Watch the games, right? <laughs> Watched, who'd you pick? Oh, you just said who it was. Rachel knew who it was. Rachel would say, I knew that the Ravens and Chiefs were playing. Yeah. Um, uh, I love this one. I read this this week. Is, uh, you have a long-term friendship with someone, and you just say to them this week, um, hey, we've known each other a long time. We've never really talked about anything spiritual. You know I'm a Christian. Would I have your permission to just ask you some questions? Because I would love to know what you think about some of these things. Right? Gives them the opt-out, but it names what's there. Right? Someone's going through a really hard time, and you say to them, 
hey, I hope this doesn't offend you, but, but I'm a Christian, and, and would it be okay if I was praying for you through this hard time? Because that's one of the ways that I find help and solace in difficult things that I've gone through. I, think, I, I just think the line, as a Christian, is really helpful. Right? You're, you're, you're talking about something even a little contentious at work, and you go, well, as a Christian, um, this, is, this is what I think about this or that. Right? I always think about it in the opposite direction. It's like we all know people from all different types of faith backgrounds and all that stuff. And if someone started to stem with, well, as a Muslim or as a Hindu or as a whatever, as someone who doesn't believe in God, we wouldn't go, why are you shoving this down my throat? We would go, oh, it's actually interesting. You're sharing something of who you are and how you process the world through the uniqueness of who you are and what you believe, right? For me, it's easy because people ask me what I do and depending on how long we've had a conversation, um, they either start confessing immediately or they slowly back away, right? A lot of times it's on a golf course and gets to the 12th hole and it's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And I always set them up because I know they're going to ask me. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a minister. And then they confess. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. And they start thinking about everything that they've said on a bad shot on hole seven. And then there's this interesting thing that happens where they start telling me the last time they were at church and who in their family is most faithful going to church. Yeah, I've been to church in like four years, five years. My grandma, though, she goes on. I'm like, I don't understand. It's like such a liturgy that people go through, right? Um, but it leads to really great conversation, right? There's a version of that. I realize that I have that advantage, but there's a version of that just saying, I went to church on Sunday. Um, and you might find people go, one, you might find people go, I don't know, you go to church. I go to church too. Where do you go? And it might be like Jacob's Wall, and you're like, you go to Jacob's Wall, right? Um, <laughs> Twice a week, twice a week, we take a chance. Something small, something simple. We would have 10,560 casts by the end of 2024. 10,000 opportunities to start a conversation. 10,000. There's a story where Jesus, uh, the disciples have been out fishing. The ones who are fishermen have been out fishing. and They haven't caught anything. And they feel discouraged. And they say, there's no fish in this lake. And Jesus says, throw your fish on that, or throw your nets on that side, <laughs> which is the most absurd advice ever, right? They're in a boat like this big, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to do, right? Um, oh, uh, that's the fishing hole, right? And what happens? It's full. Why? Why? Was it a strategy thing? Was it Jesus flexing his, his knowledge of, I know where the schools of fish are? When we do something in obedience to the master, the results end up up to him but we're participating with him now. We're not just doing it in our own effort. Fishing becomes a participation with Jesus when we obey his command to do it. And I believe that that's what he's doing for our church. He's saying, this is what I want from you right now. This is, this, this is, this is growing in us, a desire for this. I think he's saying, yeah, yeah, it, it hasn't been something you're strong in, but, but throw your nets on the right side. I think what we're being invited to do is be welcomed into the work of our master, and there is joy there, right? There's not pressure. Thank you. There is not pressure. There is not the need for us to obsessively track results. There's Jesus there. He says, come. This is what I'm doing. Are you willing to follow me? And will we go? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this call. God, help us, help us, help us. Go before us. God, we need you so much in this. But Lord, thank you that um, this call is bracketed by your authority. It's already yours anyway. And by your presence, you'll go with us. That is where you are. 
So God, help us to ultimately run to you as we run um, to others in love, in grace, in thoughtfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.